and even more rain, ladies and gentlemen, even more rain to start the work week. Uh, the weekend was a wash and now Monday is all washed up, but that's okay. We're here to talk about music and get you all through it. Uh, did somebody build the Ark yet? Is that on order? Do they have a good sound system on the Ark? You know, <laughs> play some, some water songs on there, you know, uh, here comes the rain again, right? You know? Some cla- the classic rock arc. There you go. The classic rock. <laughs> the classic rock arc. Anyway, it's Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. Hope you guys had a great dry weekend, if it was possible, here in Philadelphia and on the East Coast. Not so much. Um, lots of rock news to get to. Um, it was a bit of a Black Sabbath reunion, sort of. Um, this was really kind of cool to see uh, Bill Ward joining Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler um, at a Grammy event. Um, this was really cool because you haven't seen Bill Ward in quite a while. Um, uh, Bill Ward joining uh, the guys. Ozzy was not there in the pictures I saw, at least. I don't believe he was there. Um, and, of course, he's still, I think, still on the mend. But uh, you had the Grammy salute to music legends where Rival Sons, a great band, saw them in concert. Who did I see them with? I think it was it Van Halen? I forget who I saw them with, but they're in a... No, 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 no. I saw them with Black Sabbath. Um, yeah, uh, Shane, uh, uh, my, my rock and roll soul brother, uh, you know, we, we saw them... Yeah, Rival Sons, I think, opened for Black Sabbath. But anyway, Rival Sons did a tribute uh, playing a few songs um, uh, for uh, Black Sabbath with everybody right there. I mean, it, it, it was really cool. Uh, certainly cool for Rival Sons, um, but Bill Ward came out there, and uh, he has expressed, um, you know, uh, an affinity Bill Ward has for his ex-bandmates in recent years, despite, um, you know, some some of the difficulties going back to, was it um, around 2011 when the band re- reunited, was going to do the album, did the press conference, remember, um, it was all of them, Ozzy, uh, Bill Ward, uh, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, talking about working on a new album and a tour. They were working with Rick Rubin, and then um, Bill Ward uh, felt he got screwed, uh, to put it directly, really, and uh, said that he got an unsignable contract from management, and things just fell apart. And uh, although um, the guys in the band, Ozzy and others, had said basically that Bill Ward was not up to the job and he had some major health issues, which is also true, Two, whether those health issues were uh, a limiting factor, I don't know, but uh, Bill Ward certainly did have some health issues. Um, uh, so, but he, you know, he, ta- he told Rolling Stone in, uh, a couple of years ago that um, he was grieving the loss of friends. Um, they're missing their company, missing their words and their laughter, and above all, their music as well. So anyway, this was really cool to see Bill Ward with the guys, uh, at least two of the guys. Um, Kansas, this is Ultimate Classic Rock reporting. They do a great job over there. I love reading that magazine, and they have a, um, a bit here about Kansas. They will be doing a special show at the Beacon Theater. This is this theater, um, there's a lot of legendary stuff that's happened here. I mean, this is where, um, I want to say this is where Nick Mason's group was recently and um uh, and uh, roger waters came out and joined him on stage just a few weeks ago i believe it was I, yeah i'm pretty sure it was the same theater going off at the top of my head i'm pretty sure it was but um yeah it was so uh it was it, it's it, kansas that'll be doing a back-to-back performance of Left Overture and Point of No Return. So this would be kind of legendary for Kansas fans uh, 
I don't know how many Kansas fans there are in New York City, though. I mean, I feel like they're more of a heartland Midwest band. Although, you know, you, who knows? I mean, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a great, it's an intimate venue, and I do think that they'll, they'll certainly have uh, their fan base represented. Uh, but uh, So this is going to be pretty cool for them to do these albums back-to-back, their biggest records, at least from the classic era of the band. And also... Uh, they're working on some new music too and they just put an album out not too long ago so it's great to see bands that have nothing to prove and that you know they've toured the world over they've done it all they've lived the rock and roll lifestyle and they still want to make music together i i love that as we were talking about that with deep purple and we're talking about deep purple's come taste the band by the way coming up because i've been jamming that and i think it's a lost gem that that doesn't get enough credit so i really want we'll talk about that in the main segment, this is a Deep Purple unofficial fan podcast. Uh, yes, indeed, especially in the main segment coming up. Other news, Hell Yeah um, is uh, coming out with a new album called Welcome Home. This will feature the final recordings of uh, the late drummer Vinnie Paul. Still a, a, a horrible shocker. Uh, he had some heart issues and, and died suddenly and was just, I mean, you know, especially... Uh, several years um, after his brother's death. I mean, it just really, really, it's still hard to believe he's gone. He was such a giant personality in music. Uh, so you're going to have uh, some new Hell Yeah coming out um, uh, this year. So that's good, too. So the, uh, looking forward to that. Um, and um, got to double check the release date on that. That's, uh, you know, I, I, you, you, you ever think you wrote something down and then you're like, wait a minute, it's not here. I'll tweet it out. We'll, re- we'll tweet that out at Dave Kinchin USA. Uh, we'll tweet that out for you, but just uh, some new hell yeah coming out. Looking forward to that. Um, they just announced that they were, they had a new drummer also, so they're going to hit the road. Um, Greta Van Fleet is also uh, kicking off the North American leg of their uh, tour, um, and that's going to start in Kansas City uh, September 21st, uh, so it'll be great to see. I know they canceled some European dates because uh, the singer Josh had some laryngitis or something, some kind of vocal issues, but um, it'll be good. They will be starting in Kansas City September 21st and finishing up in Philadelphia on October 15th, so uh, we should retweet out um, our interview that we did with those guys. It was about, what was that, a year ago we did that interview? No, a year and a half ago, but I don't think a lot of it's really changed. I don't think, I mean, they've gotten bigger, certainly. They've certainly gotten bigger, but the content of that interview is still pretty much all intact, and we'll look forward to circling back with those guys again. Um, You know, we should even do that sooner before that tour. You know, why not? Uh, We do a little bit of interviews, then we always, then we start digging into just classic albums and talking about music, then we do more interviews. So um, it's kind of an, you know, an ebb and flow to all of that. A little bit here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Seven minutes into the opening segment, my producer again did not tell me I went long, but I do that because I guess I just talk too much. But that's okay, it's Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin, rock and roll, and we're back with a look at Come Taste the Band. But first, you've got to Come Taste the Podcast. I absolutely love doing this program, and I love talking about rock music because there's so much that's still out there to discover, you know? The classic stuff, there's still so much classic stuff to discover. Now, you know, I don't want to go necessarily through my personal history with music. We already did that. It kind of takes things off the focus a little bit, but I'll, I'll get into a little bit of it just for background, you know? I started out in the maybe late 80s listening to some pop rock. 
by the early 90s, I got into Aerosmith, Van Halen, and, and, you know, so on and so forth. And again, this show's done from a younger person's perspective, a guy in his mid-30s. So you older folks out there, you have to forgive me, um, but I love you for the passion that you have and for witnessing so many of these great bands when you were younger. I mean, you saw the original days. There's people I know who saw Led Zeppelin. There's people I know who saw, you know, Hendrix, and it's just crazy. Or I've, I've met people who have seen those groups. And, and to me, that's just like, you know, it was probably just a, a really cool concert for them back then. You know, oh, there's this guy Hendrix who's insane at the guitar. Let's go see him. But to me, meeting anybody, I, I, I ought to be getting an autograph from anybody who was there at a show that Hendrix did. Uh, or, you know, the classic, you know, era of Zeppelin, Deep Purple, anybody, right? So, well, all of that's classic era, really. Um, so, I didn't, I mean, and I've, I've talked with friends about this who are a little bit older, and they've, um, they talked about, especially like during the early 80s, how it was just a full onslaught of all these bands coming out, you know, here's a great band, here's a great band, here's a great band, here's a great band, you know, and um, over time, you know, some great artists get lost in the shuffle or uh, some great records from iconic, from legendary bands don't really get enough play. Um, and that's why I wanted to take a look at Come Taste the Band by uh, Deep Purple. I've heard bits and pieces of this over the years, so it's nothing new to me, but I really recently sat down and just had a great jam listening to it front to back and, and wow, you know. Um, it's, it just, especially because I love that sound. Um, by that time, the band Deep Purple took a more um, funky, boogie kind of style, you know, very bluesy with David Coverdale, even more so with the amazing Glenn Hughes. And um, one of the highlights for me as a young music journalist is, I, you know, I just got to interview David Coverdale about Whitesnake, but, um, you know, I, I, we didn't have enough time to talk about his, his Deep Purple work, um, but I'm a big fan of his stuff in Deep Purple, too. And Come Taste the Band, um, which really was essentially that, that last record of Deep Purple before the initial breakup um, of the band altogether, really was very much like a, an early Whitesnake record. I mean, you hear that, you know, obviously John Lord... And Ian Pace went into the early version of Whitesnake. Um, you know, when David Coverdale launched that, he did a couple, you know, some solo records and then really put Whitesnake out there as his band. And, and I love that stuff, too. It, it, it kind of picks up where, um, you know, Coverdale cues Deep Purple left off, you know, by, um, by 75. So, you know, it just, I mean, songs like um, like Lady Luck and... Uh, the Drifter, especially coming home. I mean, those songs are very early White Snake-ish. I mean, Coverdale's voice has that aggressive bluesiness, you know, which is which sounds like an oxymoron, but it it really there's the the soulfulness to it, but there's that sort of aggressive hard rock edge to it too. And those songs really do kind of take you into what you would get from an early White Snake. Um, well, before that was even thought of, I think you know, I would think. I mean, at the time they were all about Deep Purple. It it, it seemed just from everything I've read about and all of that. So I, I can only imagine what it would have been like for people who saw Deep Purple, especially with Richie Blackmore uh, and Ian Gillen, but even beyond that, who saw the lineup that came afterwards, um, Coverdale and Hughes. I, I mean, just, it, it's such a great, such a great record. Um, 
and and you know I'm a, I, you know kind of making a fast forward back to today, and then we'll loop back around to uh, the mid '70s again. <laughs> you know, we'll, we do a lot of uh, erratic time travel on this podcast. <laughs> um, I just you know there's we talked about Rival Sons in the opening, right? And there's some great bands like Rival Sons, Greta Van Fleet. We talked about them too. You know, thank God for them. I mean, they're continuing on the battle, keeping up, keeping it all going. Thank God for them. You know, but. I don't like a. I mean, it's hard for me to get into a lot of new music. It's really if I hear a great melody, even if it's not rock and roll, if I hear a great melody, I'll embrace it, even if it's more pop. And these days, pop is a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of light rock. It's a little bit of you know. I was kind of laughing at the what was it the Billboard Awards because the presenters were talking about what makes a great pop rock song. Uh, you know, it's a great riff. It's a great. I'm thinking a great riff. And some of the artists that I think they had the Chainsmokers and some other. I forget who the nominees were. It was Chainsmokers for one and another group. And I just said, you call that a riff? You, call, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was um, it was a pop singer who was introducing the whole category. And it takes a great riff, you know, and catchy hooks and beats. And I'm like. That's what you call a riff? I don't think so, you know. And again, you know, no disrespect to any of those groups. They're doing their own thing. But I just, it is really hard for me to get into bands that, that especially they don't play instruments. So they, it's, you know, they play one chord or a few chords and loop it, Pro Tools it, you know. Um, this was real rock and roll. This was learning an album. These were legends, you know, in, in Purple and, and groups like that where, you know, they, they got inspired by getting a, a, a record, and slowing it down, you know, slowing it down as they played it uh, and learn note for note for note. Um, so I will take classic rock and, 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 you know, that's a broad category, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I will take that any day of the week uh, over the vast majority of the stuff that's out there today. And that's probably why I listen to something like Come Taste the Band or something like... Um, you know, UFOs phenomenon or whatever, um, any of the, anything, Sabbath, priest, whatever, um, from that era, you know, 70s, because uh, it, it sounds so much better and so much more original, not just in its own nature, but against the backdrop of what's out there today. It makes it so much better, and I appreciate it even more, especially as a fan when I get to, you know, on a rare occasion or so interview some of these guys, I shouldn't say rare, it's becoming more of a recent thing in, in the last couple of years, because I've really pushed for that, you know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. Um, but, you know, we, we, that's why I say we do some interviews, and then we also do the, the rock and roll talk here. We talk about our love for this stuff. So anyway, um, and this is, and by the way, you know, one other quick note, one of the things I'm guilty of, I listen to a lot of bands, and it's like most of my friends, are, they're like, wow, you know, you really like old stuff, classic stuff, and you know, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Aerosmith, Kiss, you know, Van Halen, um, Black Sabbath, different incarnations of Black Sabbath and, and everything else. And that's true. But I also feel like I get left. I, I leave out so many of those other bands that fell through the cracks that, or that, that were that maybe had a hit or two, but they weren't super, super huge. And that's why, you know, when I got turned on to Riot, when I got turned on to Thor, you know, I said, you know, these guys maybe weren't super, super huge, you know. But, I, you know, I mean, they're just incredible. I mean, they're just so good. And, and I, you know, it still has the body of work, the sound, the guitar tone, the writing, the guitar work, the production and everything, the bass groove in the pocket and everything that, you know, the fast, you know, guitar slicing rock and roll that I love. 
and yet these are bands that I didn't really hear of. So part of the fun of this show is um, being able to listen to this stuff. I have, you know, a couple of friends I know uh, turn me on to this stuff and say, you know, and it's like, well, I got to talk about that on the show. I mean, we, you know, we're going to do, we should do a whole Riot podcast. Uh, writing that down, Riot podcast. Nice. Uh, or, you know, of that era. Kind of like, and I was saying that they were like um, kind of uh, around the era of, uh, you know, sort of kill them all meets, you know, ride the lightning. And, you know, sort of, I think that was actually more Thor. Um, but these guys were more like Maiden, like early Maiden and just kind of what was really happening, like new wave of British heavy metal type of sounding, you know. Um, you know, so again, I'm learning more about them as I, I, I listen to a couple of records and I'm learning more about them. So I'm in a state of discovery there, you know, so. Um, so we will, you know, the appreciation has only just begun just a few days ago for a riot and, and just great respect for, for them and what they've, what they did, you know, uh, and some of the recent stuff too, which isn't bad, um, or more recent, you know, relatively speaking, when you're talking about a band from the eighties, of course, early eighties. So, you know, you know, I'm, I'm really working to get, um, to share that with you and hopefully, you know. Maybe we create new fans or, you know, we can share that appreciation, too. So it's not just the classics and the, the, the titans, the, the legends, but, you know, it's 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 a great appreciation for everything else, too. You know, the, those guys that, like I said, maybe had a hit but kind of got overshadowed by some of the other names. So anyway, so we go back to Ian Gillen and Roger Glover leaving Deep Purple around 73. And it was a major thing. It was a, a major issue of, okay, do they continue the band? Do they keep it going? So they decided, yes, we're going to continue the band. Uh, and they got, um, they got David Coverdale to replace Ian Gillen, of course. And then Glenn Hughes came in to uh, replace Roger Glover. Um, and the, the album Burn uh, from 74 was really, I mean, you know, it, the, the title track takes you back to like a highway star, you know, it's soaring. I think, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a you know, if Deep Purple to you is Ian Gillen, um, you know, classic Gillen, Smoke in the Water, Machine Head, you know, that's all well and good. The great thing about Deep Purple is that I don't think you can appreciate or even be, you know, total hit the ground praising, worshiping Deep Purple, Ian Gillen era and not you know, that mark and, and, and not, um, at least have an appreciation for the Coverdale stuff and even the stuff before that, you know, with, with Rod Evans. But I think, um, for me, like it was a great evolution. Um, maybe some uncertainty at the time when the band was working on this stuff, but you, you would come into this fantastic record burn, um, that has the, the classic hard rock edge of Deep Purple, but also mixes in a little bit of Boogie, a little bit more soul, obviously with Coverdale, even more so with Glenn Hughes. Um, but that record still holds its way. It's, it's kind of like, I look at it kind of like the Black Sabbath when Dio came in, like it's like a heaven and hell. It's like a, um, it's an era that is still very much respected, even though it's not the most, when you think about Black Sabbath, you, you more so think about Ozzy Osbourne and you think about the Ozzy stuff. Um, it's there's there's a it's a secondary appreciation, but it's not for nothing. I mean, it's 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 very close in terms of the appreciation for the hallmark marquee singer or sound, you know, um, but burn is 
without a doubt, in my mind, at the very least, just as legendary or almost as legendary as, say, a machine head or something like that. Still gets a lot of great respect. Um, went to, I believe it was number six in the UK. Um, and then uh, and then they went to do Stormbringer. No, it was Stormbringer that went to number six in the UK. Stormbringer. Um, looking at my notes here. And, you know, Richie Blackmore was famous for hating that stuff. <laughs> There's a quote that I read, and I don't, I mean, this is, this could be rock and roll legend where he called it, quote, shoeshine music, um, which I'm not sure really what he meant by that, but he hated the, the funk soul full-on sound that, that you got even more of by Stormbringer. So he leaves the band, uh, starts, uh, you know, uh, Rainbow out of the Ashes of Elf, uh, obviously with Ronnie James Dio. And he's doing a whole different thing, which is great, too, you know. Uh, so Deep Purple says, well, what are we going to do? You know, what, you know, and it was really, um, you know, the guys got together, Coverdale, and the guys said, well, we got to keep this band going, you know, because uh, they, they lost, uh, you know, Richie Blackmore at that point. So they auditioned a bunch of players, and they're stuck with not just, okay, we need a guitar player, but we need, we're replacing an iconic figure in rock music. I mean, they're replacing... You know, you have to really say they're they're pretty much almost replacing like a Jimmy Page. I mean, this is like like you have to think about this. Like, what if what if Led Zeppelin was in a position where they had to replace a Jimmy Page? You know, I mean, who who the heck could have stepped? I mean, you know, who would have stepped in like a Jeff Beck or something? You know, I mean, that's that's a massive massive role to fill at this early stage of of you know classic rock music, what became classic hard rock. So even for that time. So they, they meet this uh, American, uh, young American guy, Tommy Bolin, uh, who comes in with all kinds of different, like what, green and purple, like all kinds of different colors in his hair. And, and um, you know, uh, there's a couple of different stories out there. Coverdale says he was the one who suggested that uh, Tommy Bolin gets auditioned uh, for the band. And, um, you know, there's another story out there where Richie Blackmore apparently was the one who suggested him. So it's, it's unclear which is really true, but, uh, you know, they heard his work from a record, uh, called Spectrum. Uh, and, uh, and, and really they just said, well, we, we got to have this guy. We got to have this guy. So, so Tommy Bolin, uh, came in and really was just an, an, an incredible, amazing player. Um, who could do the Richie Blackmore stuff, but also kind of do his own thing too. Very, uh, you know, influenced by jazz and, and that kind of thing, you know, so it gave a whole new dynamic to the playing. And now some fans, you know, there were, there's also stories out there that, you know, he, because he had such a, a major drug problem, um, Glenn Hughes talks about this too, and Glenn Hughes himself had a major drug issue and they lived together for a while. Uh, Glenn Hughes said in an interview that he put, uh, Tommy Bolin up in his house, um, and but you know, but they were all really concerned about uh, uh, Tommy's you know drug issues, and uh, and so what they did was, um, you know, they suffered a little bit uh, live because uh, Bolin was you know, his play. It, it was his addiction that was thought to be the the reason that he couldn't play at his best. But on the record, on Come Taste the Band, I mean, he delivers something higher and more and you know in, in my view incredibly worthy of of great praise and, and admiration and, and locking away come taste the band 
uh, into one of the best albums, you know, in, in rock music. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, and of course it was, you know, Martin Birch was on the production too. So Martin Birch was part of the magic, um, you know, a key collaborator with Deep Purple, uh, you know, did Machine Head, did, you know, so many other great records, not just that, but worked along later on would work with, you know, uh, Sabbath and Iron Maiden and all these other great, great artists. But um, to have that, you know, kind of a, the, the funk and soul element kind of ride alongside um, as a sidecar to hard rock and it worked, you know, in my view, um, you go from Stormbringer, and I wonder what Richie Blackmore might have thought if he heard when he heard Come Taste the Band. Maybe there's, uh, we'll find that somewhere out there. But um, for me, I, I think if you, you, you kind of look at it like um, there was a, you know, you definitely had more soul and everything on Stormbringer. And I love that. I love that. But I think you do get a stronger grasp on the hard rock element of Deep Purple on. Uh, come taste the uh, come taste the band so much so that it sounds like early white snake like we said so the restoration of the hard rock sound is there and it's intact and that's a great i mean it's sad that you know they broke up around 75 really sad that that you know it had to end and of course uh bolin you know succumbed to his addictions uh you know sometime after that which was really tragic but it was it, Come Taste the Band was a great record for um, if it was going to be a last run of, of the initial era or the initial, the, the last run of Deep Purple before their initial full-out breakup, Come Taste the Band is the record they you would want to end on, in my view, because it has that hard rock edge, but it also has something new and different, a lot more soul. I mean, Glenn Hughes really comes out on this record. I mean, the, the, the song This Time Around, wow, it's... That's, is it wrong to say that's his child in time? I don't know, maybe. You know, where that's his, that's that version of the band, that, that's that era of the band's stairway. Maybe that's a little too much. But it, it's, there's so much melody and structure and, and power and natural, I, I keep going back to the word soul. And that's what Glenn Hughes was able to do with his voice and still does with his voice. Still to this day in his 60s right? Probably late sixties still does that. So that in itself is worthy of great praise and admiration. And so we bow down and we, we, we give him that, you know, um, but you know, the drifter and coming home and lady luck. I mean, if you really, I think it's worth, um, moving over towards white snake. Really. I think it's really worth, if you, you know, it's great to hear a band evolve, you know, that's what I love about the kiss records from the, the first kiss album. Uh, you know, with even some songs like Kiss in Time that didn't really become a big hit, you know, the early Black Diamond, all the way up to like, you know, what they did in the 80s. I love, you know, you could have a whole day of listening to nothing but that one band and from the first record all the way up to maybe the end of the, you know, I guess maybe the early 90s or whatever before things start coming back around or even all the way through to where we are today. But that's something you could do with Whitesnake. Go back to the early Whitesnake, even the David Coverdale solo records, but really, Come Taste the Band, the last, you know, that Key Deep Purple record, uh, pardon the traffic out there, nonstop traffic. <laughs> Get some Hendrix in there, right? Make it a rock reference. Um, 
that's the one thing about this rain is it's keeping the traffic down and and it's kind of nice it keeps everybody inside unless it's the the cabbies were really pushing for uh you know sales and fares and stuff like that you kind of feel for them since uber became uber and lyft became what they are but that's a different that's more of a a topic for dave kinchin tonight not rock of nations with dave kinchin so let's get back to the script thank you very much uh self-producing there <laughs> um uh so you know going back to that to that you know the genesis of what really became the the white snake early white snake sound to be found in deep purple is a special thing too so it's worth the listen it's it's worth and it's easy listening too you know it's not like a like it takes some records take a long time to get into so um i would highly uh, say i would highly suggest uh get yourself a taste of deep purple Oh, and, and here's what's funny. Um, the story, so Glenn Hughes says in this interview, um, this is an old interview on, um, and I got to get the name of it. Um, I'll, I'll search for the name of it, but um, I, it just happened to come up. I typed in, you know, Tommy Bolin, Deep Purple, and it came up. Uh, you know, Glenn Hughes says that um, they were having drinks and uh, Tommy Bolin was reciting some quote and he said, you know, something like, come taste the wine. He was trying to say, come taste the wine, hear the band, but... Um, he ended up saying, come taste the band and got it flipped around. So they called the album, come taste the band. So it's kind of a funny, uh, funny story, um, there, but, uh, it's definitely worth a taste. Oh, that would be so great. How cool on this long goodbye tour that Deep Purple is doing if they had, David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes come out and just do some of their era of Deep Purple. Just a song or two. How cool would that be? I mean, you don't really hear a whole lot about the relationship or whatnot between David Coverdale and Ian Gillen, right? It's not like the feud or very bitter, lukewarm kind of relationship between David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. So I, that would be kind of a cool thing, you know. Um, you know, it's something to change up. Change up this tour. Not that it has to be a, uh, again, not that it has to be a big formal thing, but just a, a jam. Yeah, hey, they, oh, here's Coverdale coming out to do a song. But again, he's very busy with White Snake, so that probably won't happen. But we can all dream, can't we? Um, especially if this is the end of Deep Purple. So we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, it's Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. As always, thank you for being you. And thank you for uh, coming to taste the podcast. <laughs> As we talk about Come Taste the Band, and in my opinion, one of the most underrated albums in, in rock and roll. I mean, you don't, it's not something that you have to search too far and wide for to find, but uh, it's it's out there and it's definitely something that should get a little bit more due and a little bit more credit. And that's what we like to do on this show is highlight albums that really don't get a whole lot of, uh, of uh, immediate reaction or talk about those that do because we love those just the same. We're, we will be back again uh, tomorrow night, of course, um, but this is a great start to the week. Come taste the week, come taste the podcast, and come taste the band Deep Purple and um, anything else your palate desires musically because we have a broad palate when it comes to rock and roll here.